Dune doesn't have Dune doesn't have nearly as cool shit as Star Wars. Oh man! But technically, they kind of took some. Uh, they he took some stuff and made it better. Well, I mean, you know, stickball was real fun until someone made it baseball. Dune doesn't have Revenge of the Sith. Uh, is Chase here or something? Uh, is he hiding? Funny, like, our, what if we started a podcast like this and we just kind of edit it to make it a little bit clearer and then we'd be like, well, <laughs> welcome to Cinerival. And we're back. Yeah, exactly. All right. Three, two. Welcome to Cinerivals, our first podcast for the year 2022. We kind of have a lot of stuff to get through this year. I'm kidding. Whenever it happens, we'll talk about it. Up first, we're going to kind of go through uh, the Star Wars Disney Plus show, the new one that came out, Book of Boba Fett. And then we'll be kind of going into our theme of the week as we've been getting back into it. And then ending things off with our top 10 of 2021. We kind of finally had a chance to see some of the last films to wrap up the year. And now we're going to be able to talk about just the top 10 and maybe fill in some honorable mentions as we get closer to it. But uh, for the beginning, we're going to shift things off to Brett for Book of Boba Fett because my service level knowledge is that service level. I mean, I do be a Star Wars nerd, Brent. So, yes, the Book of Boba Fett episode one is finally out. It's a we've been waiting a year for this since the end of the Mandalorian season two. And we got our little teaser of Boba Fett tacking Bib Fortuna Oh. And uh, stealing the throne from Bib Fortuna in Jabba's palace, taking over Tatooine, becoming the new crime lord. And we start right off by giving us like two of the most iconic Boba Fett scenes, one of which we've already seen before the scene in episode two, where he is looking into uh, his father's helmet, into Jango Fett's helmet. We get that scene and then immediately we cut to something that, Every single Star Wars nerd has been wanting to see since the year of our Lord 1983 when Return of the Jedi came out and Boba Fett went into the Sarlacc pit. Every single Star Wars fan nerd was like, how does he get out of that Sarlacc pit? So much so that in the Parks and Rec show, it's been all over TikTok. Pat Oswald's character is mapping out exactly what the fans wanted to see in a return of Boba Fett. And then that's exactly what we were given by Jon Favreau and Robert Rodriguez and all the people behind the show. They knew what the fans wanted. They gave it to us. We saw Boba inside the Sarlacc pit being digested as painfully and for as long as a period of time as we were warned in the film. And you just see him punch his way through and blast his uh, flamethrower gauntlet and then crawl out of the sand Shawshank style, bro. It was awesome. Yeah, see, a lot of the words you just used, I'm very unfamiliar with in the Star Wars terminology. But yeah, it was certainly a a really cool opening, especially for the the fans that have waited as long as they did. And then getting that little sweet Patton Oswalt little description of from Parks and Rec to kind of come to life. It was really cool, and I th- I believe he even kind of came out and said something about uh, that on Twitter. So it's kind of it, uh, it know, can't so, be a coincidence. Well, uh, yeah, I think they sat him down and was like, "Listen, you know, this is how we're gonna do it." But I mean, it was uh, in terms of just an opening. My like quick summary, you know, I think that they're just really cashing in on that Mandalorian money. 
like what they've got from that and the, 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 the ability to kind of create stories through there. And I know John forever is really great at that, but I mean, how many characters are out there? Cause this was supposed to be a movie, if I'm not mistaken, like at least the character they wanted to make. I mean, dude, yeah. As soon as Disney acquired star Wars, they're like, we're doing an Obi-Wan movie and a Boba Fett movie and a Yoda prequel movie. And then not like none of that actually happened and evolved into what we have now. But yeah, I mean, we saw, we just, they basically, they basically saw the success of the Mandalorian was like, let's take all those same people and give them the the opportunity to work with this character that is literally one of the most loudly beloved characters in Star Wars history, but also with maybe the least amount of screen time. I think there's like a statistic that he has like an 11 minutes of like actual screen time throughout the first three films. And that's it. And people fell in love with the character of Boba Fett and started writing their own mythology and like giving him his own past. And then we have all this stuff from like, the lore of like comics and extra books and all that stuff. And we're finally getting to see all this stuff come to fruition in live action. It's really exciting, especially the way they're playing it. Cause it's almost dude. It's almost giving off like a game of Thrones feel where he's kind of like, I'm the new King of the North. I am the new Lord of Mos Espa and here on Tatooine or whatever, but I'm going to rule with respect and not fear. Uh, but then you have Fennec Shand who dude Ming-Na Wen is, she is a woman that I would let kick my ass. I mean, Mulan herself, obviously. She's a badass. I, I, with the helmet on, I don't know how much of the fighting she's actually doing. It could be real easy for her to have a stunt double. But, like, I feel like there is so much action that she is, like, able to do. Like, why wouldn't she? But, yeah, she's like, you need to rule through fear. Boba Fett's like, I want to rule through respect. So, like, getting to see this better side of Boba Fett, not just, like, this sleazy, like, bounty hunter who we could have gotten. Uh, and having this like redemption arc of honor and respect, I really, really like because it's making Boba Fett more of the hero character. Like I fell in love with the character whenever I first saw those first couple of movies and I had no reasoning why I love the character. But now we're here and now I get all these reasons to love this character even more. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, they, they definitely kind of changed the, I guess, the direction of him being that ice cold bounty hunter we've come to know and then giving him the sweeter side. But a, a lot of that you can kind of say comes from how uh, John Forever kind of leads his characters. I, I don't think I've seen him create somebody that was, you know, in the versatile of, of just evil in a way. But yeah, like, you know, we, we kind of get the Mandalorian because of Boba Fett. So we are in a way, you know credit that and we are here we are i think we're only getting six episodes once again i don't know the episode count but i believe we're getting six maybe eight i think um i read you could very well be correct but, uh, yeah because I, I read something about how disney plus's next show can be airing in february and it kind of just lines up like that perfectly imdb has seven on their episode guide oh, could be season two so no no, it says season one. It says seven chapters. Ah, chapters. We've moved on from just episodes. We've, we're now into chapters. Well, that, that's, this has been the motif they've been doing for all of like the Mandalorian as well. Uh, well and they, but, it's literally called the Book of Boba Fett. Guess what? Books have chapters. Well, guess what? In Star Wars, have episodes. <gasps> yeah, that's the shtick. And we, I think we failed to mention the name of this episode is Stranger in a Strange Land. And I think that is actually a reference to a classic sci-fi film of some nature. I, I, that name sounds really familiar, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I really enjoyed it, and I can't wait to see more, dude. Like I said just a second ago, Boba is one of, like, top three favorite characters in all of Star Wars for me, 
and we've ver- seen very little of him. Tamora Morrison is getting his like due diligence, finally his opportunity to really like sink his teeth into the character of Boba Fett after being Django Fett and being the new, they even like dubbed his voice over in the re-releases of the uh, original film. So it's now Tamora Morrison's voice as Boba Fett. So he's finally getting his his rightful claim to the character with this series, getting to like do all this great action work, getting to like rock the suit like he does. So I'm I'm happy for him. He's cementing his legacy just mainly have to do with the fact that he's been able to stay alive this long for them to include him in this. You kind of have the the props on that one. I I would say I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how the show finishes off, obviously, because just knowing the Mandalorian and the way that that show played out and just being fan. Yeah. And then knowing what's next in terms of Star Wars TV, I want to at least still be in the the chatter, you know, the water box, the water. So, yeah. The two seasons of the Mandalorian that we've gotten have been like, we're, we're setting up huge reveals. We've, we've like broken the internet multiple times with the things we've done with our star Wars characters in these shows. So I'm just waiting for that moment in Boba Fett. And there's like a couple of things that they would do. There's one that I want them to do that I think is a little more likely. And then there's one that's less likely that I honestly don't want them to do. Cause it kind of doesn't make any sense. But I, yeah, I'm just ready to see what they have in store for us. John Favreau and in, in John Favreau, we trust, bro, especially when it comes to anything Star Wars. You're, you're not wrong. And, and I think that could be a good segue to our theme of the week. If you're ready for it, I can I, I can rope it together. You just got to trust me. Yeah, I tie this knot for me. All right. So our theme of the week, we're kind of pulling a plug from our own movie club that we watch movies weekly from and uh, recently the theme of the week was buddy cop films and so together we're coming up with uh, we're bringing two films to the table as we've kind of rebrought rebrand our uh, our theme back we're back we're back on task here folks yeah hopefully so what i'm gonna do i'm gonna reveal i'm gonna reveal it first reveal 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 well, let's let's mention, yes, this was just our for our movie club. We did this theme, but we are we like had different movies picked yeah, for right. that. So yeah. these are we both don't know what we're about to pick. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I'm how I'm going to connect this back. You know, this this uh, this plug, John Favreau, he did uh, obviously he was a writer, director, all that, all that jazz, all that jazz. He worked with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man and Robert Downey Jr. is well written with Shane Black. And Shane Black wrote a buddy cop film that is pretty true to anyone's heart. And that is called Nice Guys. Oh, so we are doing this. We are doing this. Okay, that's so funny. Well, folks, this is going to be a short episode because there is no verses whatsoever. I have also picked the Nice Guys as my pick for this week. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to talk a little bit about this movie. That's so funny. Nice guys. Hey, that was that was way too many degrees of Kevin Bacon to get to the nice guys. Just so we're clear. No, nah, there's never too many degrees. And All you right. know, I can get things in one, but I don't want to create. any. Yeah, I was like, where is he going with this? I'm like, did he pick swingers or are they like cops and swingers or something? Hey, ooh, hey, that don't be don't be sharing ideas out there. OK, yeah. OK, so so back to nice guys, you know, two rival guys. We're going to talk about nice guys. I think what I enjoy most about this film is obviously Shane Black is a interesting director, but I think he's best known for just what he's written. 
most certainly with the characters and just kind of like how cool hip uh, certainly outside of the box people they are uh, with this film. However, you got it leading with Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe and seeing them both work together. Uh, I would say their chemistry is marvelous. I don't believe I didn't know. I never thought I could see Ryan Gosling be able to achieve this comedic beat that he has, but he does it perfectly. That's one of the reasons why you just return to it is because you know, the scenes that he kind of is able to to make those jokes or just not even in jokes in general. It's just, you know, the character and the action he makes, they're just hilarious. And then with Russell Crowe being the other half of that, I mean, he's the brute force gladiator that we've come to know and love. He has maybe with a couple of extra LBs in this movie, but no judgment. <laughs> he's yeah, he's, he's certainly packing the donuts on brand here. But uh, but yeah, I mean, my overall love for this film is just because of how surprised I was and liking it. And I and I think that falls for almost anyone who sees themselves return to this film is just, you know, the the concoction with Shane Black and Ryan Gosling, and Russell Crowe, the 1970s L.A. vibes and then a, a really crazy uh, conspiracy theory within the porno industry and just how wild and out there it all is and then kind of leveling things off with the way it ended and how it has not gotten a sequel yet is beyond me and i think that's if we were ever well it it did not make any money well yes uh, i mean it it was released during civil like a couple weeks after civil war something something really dumb in like late april yeah i think so so that's you know one thing towards the end is where like you could kind of be you know see a sequel and how cool that could have been but you know sometimes sequels are a bad thing but here re- enjoying it as just the original part i enjoy but if we were to ever do like a list of like films you want to see a sequel for this is always going to be on that list well then i look at you spoiling things to uh that could be future podcast episodes <laughs> i'm not i'm not spoiling i'm teasing i know teasing exactly everything me, you've give said me the I'm words into- give me your words here Sure. Yeah. I've in, I mean, I'm in agreement with everything you've said so far. Like you were saying, the best part of this movie is easily Ryan Gosling's performance, his delivery of the dialogue, his uh, little nuanced reactions. Like uh, it's almost every time he walks into a room, someone scares him and startles him. And he's like, Jesus Christ. And like it's like the very little subtle things that he's doing like that, that like all those little beats are hilarious. This movie feels like uh, I saw a lot of people comparing it to the Big Lebowski when I was looking at reviews and I was like, very, that is very, very true. You got your your porn star subplot. You got your murder mystery. You got your unlikely guys solving the mystery. And you got a movie that really thrives and is enhanced by rewatches like it like this. Those are some of the best movies, especially when it comes to like a mystery film. I've watched this like five or six times now. And every single time a little piece of the puzzle falls into place a little bit better every time I watch it and it makes more and more sense and I'm catching more and more. And there's a lot of like little nuanced things that these characters are doing that like just give you more and more depth to what, who they are, to, not what, but who they are. I thought again, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. It was one of the biggest surprises of 2016 and it's a goddamn shame. No one went and paid to see this because uh, it's set up perfectly for a sequel and we, it's just thrown, thrown right out the window. I remember even when they were doing their press tour and like them showing up on nightly talk shows and you can just see the, the 
how well they gelled with one another. Natural chemistry, dude. It was, I mean, if for and that's the thing to even we should have started off with this, but like for a buddy cop film to work, they have to have chemistry. You cannot have like a negative energy between the, the two leads. And if they have it off screen, you can see it on screen. Uh, I know recently I've seen uh, The Last Boy Scout, and I remember hearing about how behind the scenes, Bruce Willis and Damian Wayans, they did not get along at all. And so you seeing that tension behind the scenes. Oh, my God. Bruce Willis was difficult to work with. What a surprise. Come on. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> that that, you know, that brother. He couldn't get along with Kevin Smith, and that man loves everyone. Oh, yeah, you would go there. Um but, but you're getting my point. Like, you have to have yes. that brotherly love, that bond. And Ryan we God. just both watched the other guys. And that movie soars on the fact that, like, the camaraderie and the, 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 the dynamic between Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell works so well. This is the exact same thing. You have, like, a stoic, badass brawler in Russell Crowe who, like, every single line he's delivering, he's delivering through his gritted teeth and raspy voice. And then you got Ryan Gosling's character who is, like, an over-the-top, clumsy, alcoholic. He loves, like, and he's just, like, a mustachioed detective man. I love it. His, he's known for his looks of just being, like, damn straight charming. And, like, they do a real job at just making him, like, bleak in this time in the 1970s. Dude, he the scene on the toilet at the bowling alley where he's just trying to get the door open. I was like crying, laughing every time. It's so funny. And like you can't teach comedic timing like that. So it really all of this movie does is just make me want Ryan Gosling in more comedies. We've gotten small sample size with that, too. And I mean, very I, small. We haven't, shit, we haven't even seen him in a film in a while. If you ask me, I can't. I'm actually drawing a blank right now at what the. The last film I would have been 2099 or uh, 2049. Yeah. I I mean, I know he was starting and raising that family with Eva Mendez. So good for him, though. But yeah, weird connection. Eva Mendez and the other guys. But yeah, just like how you said, the the comedy beats are fantastic. And I I would probably like one of the scenes that I enjoyed beyond that one was just when um, when he's it's like early on and he's, you know, doing his. PI and he's taking notes and ladies like my husband's been missing and he's like you know trying to get the information of what he looks like and he looks over and sees a urine on the table so you know he's been wait an urn the urine I thought for a second I heard urinal and I'm like what <laughs> uh but no yeah he sees the urn yes. and he's like when was the last time you saw him and he was like the funeral and that sets up that he's kind of like a lot of his clientele are these older ladies that just don't know what they're talking about so he can make an easy buck off them but the, but that scene really kind of shows his facial expression can also deliver the comic beat without having to use you know I guess the the, the dialogue within within this scene. But yes, and, and everyone else in the film, I mean Kim Bassinger, I would not mind watching her on screen anytime. <laughs> That's a certain. I mean, she's a babe. Swing. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't think we would ever get a sequel the only thing i can think of is like a, a you know those tv shows that get brought back to kind of rejuvenate the source material dude if there was a i swear to god if fox put out a live like a nice guys sitcom or a cop type show i'd be like no do you uh, and you know um, what i don't think shane black would allow that to happen either pretty true yeah i, I mean you're not wrong on that one I kind of like looking into when we first were doing the buddy cop theme and I was kind of like going through and looking at previous films 
of that nature and just seeing the reboots or the sequels and everything that's been coming back for it. Do you remember the TV show for Rush Hour? Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if. No, God damn it. The, I, 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 I like the one that's sticking out of my mind is the uh, MacGyver or not the MacGyver one, but the Aletha Weapon one. That, that one lasted longer than I thought. Well, but- the original cast only lasted one season, and then they're like, fuck this guy who's playing Riggs. We got to replace him. They did, for for our listeners out there, they did two seasons, but they the, the actor that played Martin Riggs, which was Clint Crawford, he got very, he was directing an episode and got pissed off at who else but his buddy partner that you're supposed to have this great chemistry with, Damian Wayne. Also a Wayne's, dude. Maybe the Wayne's are the problems. There was this no, that's the same Wayne's though from Boy it's the same Wayne's. Yeah. He got, he got mad about the direct like how long they were directing the scene or something like that. But anyways, but yes, point take like when they do these reboots or this we see uh you know the, the rebranding of the previous films, it's not good. The rush hour show, it's, I believe, lasted three episodes. It never works because like we've already said twice now or whatever. It's all about the chemistry between the actors. So when you try to just get two guys that look like the motherfuckers from the movie, then it's not the same chemistry. It's not the same dynamic and you cannot get the same result. So I'm going to throw you something. I know I didn't ask you to prepare for this one, but if you were had to say <gasps> the best buddy cop, it doesn't have to be filmed. But if you want to see chemistry alone, like would you I'm saying bad. I mean, I mean bad boys. I think bad boys would be I personal choice. I would probably just say the other guys. That's fair. Oh, no. They hey, yeah. like I just I, I, you know, I hey, you got both of them do a pretty well job at the commodity. Yeah, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Oh, well, I, I like that. I like the stuff we watched this month. But yeah, it's definitely the other guys. It, I mean, it's hilarious. And if we if we if we, uh, you know, me wanting to plug it in there, if we want to go dark and sinister, nothing beats seven. Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt. Yeah, no, that counts. Yeah, I was about to say. Doesn't have to always be. Uh, I was for a second. I was thinking Departed, but I'm like, they're not actually buddy cops. It's just two police guys. I need to see one of those YouTube mashup trailers of like the Departed, but it's a comedy. Like I want, I want to see that where they're just- one of the cops is a undercover detective who's in way too deep. The other is an undercover bad guy who's infiltrated the police force. See how their wacky antics play out in the Departed, rated PG thirteen. Coming soon to theaters this Christmas. <laughs> coming, coming soon to a theater near you. See, we got we can't be doing this because people are gonna steal. I know this is why our episodes end up as long as they are. This Uh, (laughs) wink, wink, but right, all right. Well, let's then we'll wrap up this conversation on the nice guys. It's really funny. Episode five, and we're already picking the same movie. It's so great. I believe if you haven't seen it yet, it is streaming on Hulu. Just to throw that out there. Mm. Well, I have it on Blu-ray, so I do too. But yes, very much. Go give it a watch. It's not safe for work. <laughs> Very not safe for work. So make sure you're you're uh, watching uh, it in front of the appropriate audiences. Sir, uh, they play it at your work, though. Well, OK, you know what? It's safe for my work. It's my job. I pedal smut for a living. All right. Uh, to end out, to end off this conversation or to cut off this conversation, That's go so see cool. the nice guys. We both love it a lot. If there's one thing Shane Black does better than anyone else, it's right. Good back and forth dialogue. So like having two really charismatic actors spit and Shane Black dialogue at each other. You can't really ask for much more. And, and 
to before wrap it up to even mention Shane Black did write Lethal Weapon. So he oh, yeah. does have the history of being able to do this. So we can and ki- and people would say Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is a buddy cop movie, even oh, though yeah. neither oh. of them are actually cops. Uh, well, neither of them are actually cops in this movie either. So we're actually we, we failed this mission completely. Nah, nah. <laughs> we'll go ahead and wait. Last thing. We didn't mention Holly at all. The little girl who was in the movie. If I were to change one thing about the nice guys, it, it very well might be cut out the little girl having her side plot and being like, don't kill the man, Mr. Russell Crowe or whatever. But did you notice that that's the little girl who is now Betty Brant in the Spider-Man movies in the MCU? That was a first time realization for me. And I thought that was awesome. Uh, uh, I recognize that just more recently because when she was in No Way Home, I thought that her scene was like CGI and right. like, caught, I caught it again and it kind of like re- re- reminded myself. Mm. Yeah, let's go ahead and all American rejects this and move along. Let's do, let's do our top 10. Here it is, folks. You've waited all year for these lists. Most, most certainly. We can go ahead and uh, we'll do how we've done the previous ones. We'll go back and forth, counting down from 10. We can maybe do some honorable mentions if we... Uh, get to the end of it just kind of throw some you know not like 11 well, no we should if we're doing honorable mentions we start off with them we'll just drop a couple and then we can do our number 10 all right hey that's that's fair that's fair all right well. gotta end on top baby <laughs> hey yo. all right i'll uh go ahead and give me a couple honorable mentions on your end and then i'll, I'll do this one Well, then I'm going to just I'm not even going to for the honorable mentions. I'll mention this one here in a second because it just recently got bumped out of the top 10. But I definitely want to mention the harder they fall the Netflix movie. That was an incredible surprise. I loved the more hip hop like neo Western feel that it had. It reminded me a lot of Django Unchained, which is literally one of my top 10 films of all time. So could not have enjoyed that one more. Really great movie there. Just a recent one that could very well creep up even higher into my list with a rewatch. Watching the tragedy of Macbeth was a experience for me. There was insane cinematography, incredibly memorable sequences that like will not get out of my head. And just seeing like Denzel Washington spitting all this Shakespeare at people was super exciting. And then I guess I'll end with uh, two. I'll say Cruella and the Kingsman. Uh, love the Kingsman because I love the Kingsman franchise. Love the prequel. Uh, thought it did a really good job setting up the world that we've come to know and love. It could, it definitely could have been better, but it was still really enjoyable in my opinion. And then I love, love, love that Disney finally did a live action remake of a film that feels finally super like unique enough to be its own thing. And so that is why Cruella is going to get a shout out for me. All right. Anything that I did, I didn't say that you also think is very great. I think a film that you would also consider a surprise you, but my first honorable mention would be the night house. I had rewatching this and I was even more impressed going through it the second time. Uh, Rebecca Hall thriller that came out kind of in the middle of summer, which, you know, films that lower independent spot. Yeah. They just kind of get overlooked, especially at a time when no one's going to the theaters, it's even harder but the film, I mean, in terms of how the story has progressed, just a small sample size and a woman's her husband commits suicide and she wants to know why he died. And as she digs deeper into the reasoning for it, she finds a dark hidden secret that her husband's been hiding from her. And it is just I mean, it's really fantastic. And, you know, you have your your horror techniques or tropes and how people give you those jump scares. But this film does a great job of just using set design to do that. 
And, and I haven't seen anything like that before. So I, I would imagine you watch that once and you go through it a second time to start picking up on some things. Uh, another film that I'll throw out there just uh, for sheer fun. Uh, if you're looking for a movie that will is just out of 2021, that is probably the horniest film of the year or second horniest. Space Jam 2, A New Legacy. Right. I'm going to I'm just going to throw out there Monday. There's a certain friend in our collab that he knows who he is. He shall not be named. But uh, Monday was a, a fun. We talk about him at the end of nearly every episode, <laughs> dude. But yeah, whatever. Let's keep Watch this. the damn movie, Chase. I'm just gonna say it like it's it's a really fun film. It's shot in Greece. It, it's very beautiful, and it's just two people that fuck. Like mm. I mean, and it has mm. a decently nice plot of you know how their relationship works and, and how they do be fucking. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a substitute of the marriage story where they actually get get it on and they play some Marvin Gaye, I, I mean, go with. Mm-hmm. I can't rhyme the entire time. <sighs> Uh, and then, you know, last but not least, I, I want to throw out there in terms of haven't done much action talks in my list and whatnot outside of like the more mainstream ones. But I kind of want to throw out there. Uh, nobody. I, oh, I thought, man, that ended up way low on my list. It just it, felt super unmemorable. It's, yeah, but. it's it's pretty low on my list. But I mean, in terms of just like for an action film that kind of is in the same vein of John Wick, I thought it was done pretty well. And and Bob's not a big name actor that people will kind of go out and see. I mean, after a better call Saul, I, he's definitely like not a small actor. I'd say B list. Yeah, well, certainly. And well, that's why I want to you know mention this because I was kind of surprised that he was able to kind of take over an action leading role. And by the time it finished, you know, it kind of had me wanting a Mr. Nobody cinematic universe. And I think that, uh, wait, I think it's not, it was just nobody, right? Not Mr. Nobody. Am I saying Mr. Nobody? I think you just you just said Mr. Nobody, and it threw me off. I'm like, wait a minute, what is that? The mo- it's been so long since I watched it too. But yeah, just nobody. nobody. The Nobody Cinematic Universe it had me wanting that. The action scenes are just really cool, really slick, thought out, and it has some really cool needle drops that I enjoyed. So I, those three films right there alone, uh, give them a go. They're they range between all different genres that I just kind of haven't really done much talking about. Or might not be talking about in my top 10. Let's, okay. Let's go ahead and have you start off with your number 10. Starting from the bottom. Now we're here. All right. So my number 10 spot. And this is funny because for nearly 364 days, this movie has been up in the top 10 of my favorite films of this year. But like to even call it a movie is kind of questionable because this motherfucker is like four hours long. So your boy actually ended up bumping Justice League, the Snyder Cut, out of the top 10. So that will not be discussed in this, unfortunately. Uh, We're still caught on audible mention. You know, after, like, with the four-hour runtime and the fact that, like, when the hell am I ever going to watch it? I'm just, like, couldn't justify keeping it in the top 10. So my number 10 pick, a recent conversation just on our last podcast in fact this movie was talked about uh the conversation we had is what really pushed me to get out there and go see it i actually went into public and bought a movie ticket at a different movie theater that is not my own so that's something Uh, i went and saw red rocket and i fucking loved the movie sean baker like i like when he like you guys heard last episode when brent told me that was the director the guy who did the florida project i got so excited He is so good at capturing 
the real life people of the United States of America and telling their stories and making them feel like we're like just taking a camera into the real lives of just people who live in the United States. He always gets like one or two stars to work with to really like bring these strong performances like Willem Dafoe in the Florida Project or Simon Rex in this. But like for the majority of the film, all of these actors are first time actors or unknown actors, smaller actors. So they just feel like these real people. And this movie is so good and making you fucking hate Simon Rex's character and making you feel sympathetic for all these other people in this story. And if my only gripe with this movie is I didn't love the beat that it ended on. I'm like, oh, really? You're going to roll credits here? Yeah. But other than that, dude, like I was I was laughing throughout the film. I was like draw dropping with some of the decisions that were being made. There were twists and turns that I didn't see coming. So, dude, this movie wasn't even on my radar for 90 percent of the year. It was not on my anticipation list because I didn't even know what it was. We talked about it a couple of times through our friend group. But like once we finally talked about it last episode, I'm like, all right, let's go see this. And I I loved it. Um, So number 10. I'm I'm glad to hear that. And I said a lot of the things that I liked about it in the previous episode. So check that out. My number 10 might kind of surprise people with just how low I have it, but that's just who I am. I'm going with number 10 at Dune or Dune. I'm keeping it this low. And certainly we know that it's a part one of a part two from director Denis Villeneuve. And he, this is a film from his childhood that he has envisioned for a long time. And he just basically kind of brings, I mean, the book to life from what I've heard, I have not read it, but just, it's a spectacle on a pretty big scale of just, you know, the cast, the cinematography, the score, every department coming together and really working beyond, you know, the wildest imaginations. And they really make the, make you feel like you're inside this world. And, and I enjoyed it. And for the literature landscape that kind of comes behind it, it's pretty easy to follow and understand. And whenever part two comes out, well, you know, I'll be there. We didn't get a Star Wars movie this year, but we came pretty damn close. <laughs> Touche. All right, uh, me- no, I mean, Dune is like top. I think I think it ended up at like 20 for me. I liked it enough, but it feels incomplete as a movie. Obviously, since it's a part one, it ends on a pretty unsatisfying note, in my opinion. Uh, after sitting through two and a half hours of what was majority of the movie conversations that, yeah, it does a really good job of establishing the world that we're in. But like, I wanted to see that much more from like this big, huge blockbuster space epic. That is what we were advertised. So I'm, I'm still, yeah, like you said, I'm excited for part two, but I couldn't justify like getting it any higher just because it's not, it's not done. That's fair. What is your number nine? So for number nine, I had, I got to thank TikTok for, or I guess the movie should thank TikTok for boosting it all the way up into the top 10. In Kanto, and I know how you feel about this movie. I really, it's easily the best animated film that has come out this year. Uh, and, t- and like I said, TikTok has really emphasized that. Everyone breaking down this movie, showing the little Easter eggs now that it's on Disney Plus for free, finding all these little hidden aspects of the film and these different messages and explaining them. 
really adds to the emotional weight that this film already really had for me. I thought it was a really great story about like not being defined by your family's expectations of you and creating your own path and being strong, even though you're the odd man out or whatever. And uh, family exclusion, because everyone has felt like they're the odd one out in their family before. And this is a great representation of that. And they were able to show that not only with the one that doesn't have powers, but with nearly every character felt kind of excluded. They they show that really well with Luis's character and they show that really well with uh, Isabella's character. So at the end of the day, I, I think I could like the music a little bit more. I like Lin-Manuel Miranda has done better, in my opinion. But the messages in the movie, the animation, the 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 all uh, the all around plot. I love that there's no villain in this movie at all. So I like I said, it was it was a lot lower up until like I was doing my final ratings. And because of all the TikToks I've been seeing now, you're in the top 10 in Kanto. So congratulations, number nine. Yeah, there's just not much for me to say about this film. I certainly would think I'm telling you, if Emma watches this movie and then she makes you watch it 72 more times, then maybe you'll be on board. My favorite animated film of the year <laughs> is Mitchell and the Machines. Mitchell versus Machines. That's and I. Oh, think, is that your number nine too? No, that's a gr- no, no. oh. Just saying, my animation, my favorite one. And that's just because I I haven't really seen animated the animation style like kind of brought to life like that. My number nine is a film that is very controversy, and I said earlier that controversy. I said earlier that. They're the second Hornets film of the year. This is the first Hornets film of the year. Uh, oh, oh, my number nine is Tatane. And and I think that this <sighs> is insane. It's wild. It's batshit crazy. So much stuff happens in this film. It's a foreign f- people. Foreign people are weird. Hey, and that's and that's how you wait. I, that, I, that, that, that don't sorry. I'm going to take that back real quick because if like that just out of context doesn't sound great. OK. So this this film, it's a French film, and that is how I've described it to a lot of people. So like when you go into this, you know, you got to kind of understand that this is a film that really kind of captures, you know, their cinema and like what they've are just kind of used to something that I have not really seen put on screen before. But it to not really give any of it away, because it's certainly when you watch this for the first time, you will have your jaw dropping on the floor and either squeeze, uh, you know, squirming or whatever, or just pure excitement because you're a mad person and you, <laughs> but I had a pretty good time with this film. I thought with how wild it was, it was an entertaining one and the collectiveness of the character and the characters, just the lead and, you know, the father and this woman kind of coming together on their own terms. And just, I mean, I don't want to really spoil a lot of it, but let's just say this woman has sex with her car and then she becomes pregnant by, from that act. And no, but like you're you're describing a movie that I would want to see, and that's not what it ends up being. That is for the audience to decide. Fine. My my number nine is. <laughs> I am certainly happy having it in there. Yeah, if you can't tell, folks, our top tens are going to be vastly different. I if there if there is even one movie that we share in our top tens, I would be surprised. Uh, or there might be, you know, no, there's going to be one movie that we share, but I, if there's two movies, then I'll be surprised. I think three, um, we'll, three. we'll, we'll see, but yeah, no, nah, I was not a huge fan of the, of the Titan. It's all right. 
mm-hmm. but yeah, teach their own. Uh, that it was just not my cup of tea. All right. So my number eight, another movie that after a lot of thought bumped its way up into the top 10. Uh, it's a movie that I was waiting a very long time to see at the anticipation began when I saw the cast list of this film. And this is one of the one director that I've like literally watched anything and everything that they've made because their movies are so their movies that it's the it's like it, it's an experience watching them. Uh, I picked for number eight, the French dispatch. I love, I love, I love Wes Anderson. Anything drenched in that style of like Wes Anderson with his weird, weird fashion choices and his eccentric dialogue. And there's nothing like a Wes Anderson movie other than a Wes Anderson movie. And the French Dispatch might be the most Wes Anderson movie of all time. I'm not the biggest fan of how they constructed the story. I the fact that it's just three kind of sub stories inside one movie. But that being said, I loved every single one of those sub stories so much so that I want to see those movie like all of those movies played out in feature length, basically. Uh, the the production design, the costumes, everything is so incredibly impeccable. It seems like in some of these scenes that they did could have taken them 45 minutes to set up a two second clip. And that that kind of attention to detail. I, I feel that when I watch his movies. So it, I think it very much deserves to be in number eight. I this was not my favorite Wes Anderson film. Uh, not my favorite either, by any means. I just I, I was not really expecting the three collective stories to just be as short as they were. I mean, I knew going in that it was going to be like that, but I, I kind of wanted, wanted more from, from each of the stories. And I mean, with the cast that big, you know, you're not going to get a lot of them, a lot of screen time with them in a Wes Anderson film. So I think just my anticipation was way too high for me to actually enjoy this film. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You, every time the person you want to see in the movie shows up, he's like, Oh, hi, what's up? And then bye. Mm-hmm. My, my number eight is a film that I loved from the get-go, but as you go throughout the season and you, you kind of edit your rankings around it, it's kind of fallen, fallen down a little bit. And I have, and I have knocked it down a peg, but my number eight is Belfast. It might come as a surprise to you that I have it this low now, but certainly um, just knowing the, how much I enjoyed the film when I first watched it, it was great. The, the joy I had and the emotions that kind of really come with the film, not like on a personal connective way, but I, I thought the cast and the, the director, Kenneth Branagh, job well done, especially with it being about his childhood and what he was able to kind of reimagine with what his parents and all that and how we went through it. I thought the film had just great charm and especially the way that they, uh, with the his, the, his relationship with his grandparents, that that part really kind of hit me and connected with me the most but I mean, at the end of the day, I, I feel like with it being shot in black and white and other films that I've seen with that same degree, it's kind of lowered its um, its view for me in a way. I'm sure whenever I do get to rewatch it, I'll enjoy it a lot more. But as of right now, I just I, I want to still include it. I still like talking about it and I can still recommend it. But right now I have it at eight. And it very well could end this year with a golden statue under its name. Yeah, and I won't even be disappointed with that either. Like, that's not saying that this film doesn't deserve to win that. But uh, for me, I just, I've seen seven other films I enjoyed a little bit more. Yeah, all right. Well, my number seven, a movie that feels like we waited the longest time for, 
because right when all the crazy pandemic stuff started to happen, they're like, oh, you know how you just scheduled this movie? Uh, we're pushing everything and actually the whole world is about to end. So my number seven pick is A Quiet Place 2. This is something I need to rewatch. I can't believe I haven't rewatched it since theaters, but like I loved it so much sitting there in the theater, seeing the continuation of the story of this family that I fell in love with in the first movie. John Krasinski coming back and doubling down with his writing and directing. I I love the Quiet Place movies, but I really want to see John Krasinski work on something a little heavier, something maybe a little bit more emotional, like tackling something that could even potentially be an Oscar Beatty film. I think he has the talent. He has the 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 skills as a director. He has the talent as a writer. I'd really be excited to see something like that. Just to quickly jab in there. Uh, he kind of reminds me of like, he can kind of go into that path. Like Bradley Cooper has where like he can find himself a film mm -hmm. or a piece of work that he can connect himself uh, with that emotionally beat character and really deeply make it his own. Just like Bradley Cooper did with the stars born. Right. But I wouldn't even be mad if he didn't star in it, if he strictly sat behind the camera, just like in The Quiet Place 2. You, I mean, we get the big opening sequence where it's like the beginning of everything that we've come to know in this world of A Quiet Place. But then through the rest of the movie, obviously, if you saw the first one, his character is gone and we're really just following the mother, the daughter, the son and the baby through their new story. Uh, uh, of leaving their sanctuary that is their house with all the traps because like they they had to leave they run out of resources and to see again to see the progression of that family and the story and choices that they make the 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 character development that the children characters get in this movie is also really really great you spend a lot more time with them which I really enjoyed uh, and like uh, uh, Kieran uh, what's his face um, uh, come on help me the uh, Nolan guy Killian Murphy Killian Murphy. Yeah, he does an amazing job in as a supporting character in this second film, uh, not really stepping in and taking the place of John Krasinski's character. But yeah, being that like surrogate male figure in the storyline, he did a really great job. And a lot of the best sequences of the film are when him and uh, oh, God, I, I feel like I've got, I'll be disrespecting her if I don't, because I think she's a fantastic Millicent Simmons. She's a fantastic actress. They, they I, like in the first one, they went out of the way to get someone who was actually hearing impaired. I thought that was incredible, but she actually turned out to be a really, really strong actress. So those are probably the best moments of the film. But then you got Noah Jupe, who's like killing it in a, an, a tube, trying to save the baby and just breathe through an apparatus and whatnot. Uh, it's a really great horror franchise from a really funny man who ended up being a really, really above average director and who really would have thought of that whenever he decided to pick up the uh, old director's bullhorn. Yeah, the, the thing that I'm, I look forward to, I mean, I enjoyed the film, but I liked the first one a lot better just because I kind of... Same. You know, I knew what was coming to come, like that whole feeling of like the sound being worked how it's worked. It is a surprise the first time you see it. So seeing it the same. Right, and the, the reveal of the actual monsters is so much more genuine in the first one. And it's like, there's not much you can like add on to that. But like what we got, I think since we didn't get as awesome of a like visceral experience with that reveal, they gave us that much more in character development in the second one, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my number seven is a film that I believe you might have also enjoyed at the time, but I'm going back to something I saw almost at the first half of the year as well. But Shiva Baby, it 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 crept down my list, but I did I did enjoy watching that. Yes, and I have this 
this high just because of a film that I was not expecting to be good turns out to be just insanely great. And as we mentioned on a previous episode, tension that comes from uncut gems, you don't get to capture that much. And this film is like walking on a tightrope that, and that tightrope is a razor blade. Like there's no room to really breathe and you really feel the situation that our lead character is in. And I, and I enjoyed just how, you know, batshit it was. And for those that, I mean, if you're looking for a film that's like less than 90, then this movie is less than 80 minutes. Like it's not a tall task for you to obtain. And I think circling back and how independent this film is, I kind of still want to give it that voice because I enjoyed the hell out of it. And I look very much forward to seeing what these people come, come forward with next. I think what I liked most about that movie was how it was like the the directing and the pacing and the score all really enhanced the like stress and just mm-hmm. uncomfortability that comes with these like family interact or these like family conventions or whatever. And like, you're just being berated by questions that you just don't want to answer. And that was all reflected in the cinematography and like the way that the camera would be like zoomed in so terribly closed up. And so, I mean, that's those are the best part of the movie for me. And like just the relatability of these like Jewish family gatherings that I've been through. And it's just it's, it's kind of uncanny how they're able to represent like the true awkwardness of a lot of the interactions that happen at these things. Hmm. <laughs> One can only imagine. But yeah, that that is my number seven. All right. So that means my number six. Um. Oh, would you look at that? So, guys, uh, I'd like to apologize because I'm a big fat liar because I said with Encanto that it was my favorite animated movie of the year. But that is actually a factually incorrect statement because at number six is the Mitchells versus the Machines. Brent thankfully reminded me that Netflix actually was the one that was able to put out like in a true gem of a film this year uh, from the from the guys at the Sony Animation Studios that did Into the Spider-Verse, uh, which is like literally one of the best animated films of all time, in my opinion. Uh, they come back. They're telling this story of like family and inclusion and being who you are while also doing this like over the top and like huge in scale like animated film about this just war robot uprising, almost Terminator style. And the comedy beats hit super hard. The emotional beats hit super hard. All the voice actors are really, really great. Uh, so this movie is another one of the biggest surprises that came out of this year for me. Cause like, I couldn't have expected as much as we got out of the movie. The thing that I enjoyed the most about this movie is how it made me connect and feel when it revealed the moose. And for those that have seen the movie, yeah. the part that I'm talking about, when that scene comes, hit horde. you're just hit. You're, you're like, and you, you don't even expect it. Like, you're like, you're not going to think this film's really going to pull your strings like what Pixar or the other Disney animated films have done. And this one was just beautiful. It was, again, a huge surprise. You, who'd, have, who'd have thought it would go that hard into the emotional beat? And, and, like I, and also, like I said, the themes are like, super poignant these days because it also touches on like the people like people's dependency on technology it was able to accomplish so many things in such an entertaining package so very very pleased with that movie my actual favorite animated movie of the year play play that let the record show 
my uh, my number six is a a family film of my own here not my my own but oh yeah uh, my number six is coda this film um. if we're sticking true to the the heartwarming story of a family and like what it means to just be courageous to go on your own journey this film really does that and at the same time, it does that through deaf adults. And one of the, the daughter in the family, she is not deaf, but everyone else is. And it kind of shows you what she does on a daily basis to help the family. And like in terms of just struggle, all the sacrifices she exactly, makes, yeah. that's that was the big standout in the movie. She, for me. she yeah, she she has a love for music and she wants to pursue that. But at the same time, she is the only one that can really help her family and, and there's really scenes throughout the whole film that really kind of hit the the heart strings and they really kind of pull those those teardrops out of your eyelids and especially i think at the very end where the the film kind of makes it whole and i think the reason why it kind of sticks in my top 10 and where it's at is just because of how you know heartfelt that that film is and for a father in the film that is getting plenty of awards love troy coaster he he does a fantastic job of kind of like showing the the emotion and a lot of it with his daughter and that connectivity and that chemistry that we've said a thousand times. But I can't really say any more about the film unless I want to start putting it in higher in my ranking. But it, it's a it's a great it, film. It actively moves up as we're discussing it. You're just like, whoa, oh my god, it just jumped two <laughs> spots. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, Tiger. Uh <laughs> it's in a film that I actually kind of do um can't wait to rewatch. So that's my number six. I well, I just watched it and like, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, There were moments that I thought, hey, this is almost kind of like it's just like two steps away from being like a Disney original movie, like a good Disney original movie. But it really sells the heart and the emotion uh, of the main character and like that like what she's feeling about her circumstances with her family and like the fact that she feels like burdened by the fact that she has to be the interpreter. So that was all super great for me. Uh, the The singing subplot was okay. Uh, I, I get why it was in there to like have her own thing that she wants to do away from the family and whatnot. But that's the part they felt a little cheesy, but still really great movie, really Really great performances by uh, Troy. You said Colster. I believe it's Colster. Yeah. yeah, he was uh, easily the standout, like the funniest person in the movie. And he didn't say a word because he is deaf. My uh, I don't want it to go unnoted, but I think Amelia Jones, she is going to be a star, like in terms of like roles that she's going to. I mean, looking at her filmography, sure, he's already landed in some films, but this one is definitely kind of putting her on the map. And I look forward to seeing what she has coming. Ooh, if, well, you know what? If we're since we're hyping up young actresses, since I already talked about Red Rocket, I do want to shout out uh, then Suzanne's son, which Red Rocket was her first performance, and she she fucking killed it. And and we should know in Red Rocket that the age group is not as bad as it says in the movie. <laughs> right? Yes. Go see that movie to understand what we're talking about. But okay, back back on track because we're gonna keep talking, dude. Coming of age movies are. Easily some of my favorite stories to ever be told. And this might be literally one of the best to ever be told. I'm going to steal your thunder because number five is licorice pizza. I like to thank you personally, Brent. 
without you, I would have no love for PTA. And now I've seen nearly all of his films, except for the ones that I just truly don't want to watch, like Phantom Thread. But Licorice Pizza was a shining star of a release this year. Our two stars in the film are both first time actors as well. And they do an incredible job. They are so they are fantastic actors and the story that's being told with licorice pizza, the multiple stories, because I love how it's an unconventional way of telling a story. You just go from like moment, like from like just cut from moment to moment to moment uh, through their relationship. You don't really ever get an establishment of like how long they've known each other or how long they've been friends. But it's still all it shines through that they're like relationship and their friendship is so pure and so strong that they truly need each other in each other's life. And it all shows. And the romance, like the the non-physical romance between the two is so palpable that like you're you're it's infectious. You're just watching this movie waiting for them to fall in love. And I don't love love in movies, but I loved loving this movie so much. I, I'm really glad to know that you've you've accepted you finally rubbed off on me, my guy. The PTA is working. Just need you to finish it. But yeah, I, I'll I'll speak more of this film when we get to it. Right. From- well, yeah, it's just be prepared, folks. You appreciate that it, it's cracked the top five because knowing just how different. Our that so- was another one of the shuffle things. I'm like this. The the quality that comes with this film, the, the, the all of it, the direction, the acting, the writing, the, like the script, the, the the comedic beats that it hit, all of it just really played perfectly. I had a couple of issues, but like everyone has a couple of issues with everything or whatever, but it had to be in the top five. It's maybe top five coming of age movies of all time. And that's that's really saying something from me. I watch a lot of those motherfuckers. Well, well put, well put. My number five is uh, a very a film that we've we've mentioned before. Uh, small film didn't make much money at all. If you want to look at it that way, but uh, my number five is Spider Man No Way Home. In fact, that movie made the most money in the entire year. So, oh man, you totally got you duped me here. <laughs> I I was like, what is he about to pick? Yeah. So uh, we've go, previously said this in our Spider Man episode. We'll right. Make- go we'll listen to episode three. <laughs> this is basically the the little bookmark right here. You just go yeah. back, watch episode three, and then listen to all of the episode three, and. You come right back. This film is just impressive. And for a film that or for Spider-Man and MCU to really uh, load up on the anticipation and then to really just exceed at it and deliver on, on every mark. It's fantastic. And we've said it before. I'll say it again, though, like this part of Tom Holland's Peter Parker is fantastic. It's some of the best we've seen, some of the best we've gotten. And even for him to share the screen, spoiler alert, fast forward 15 seconds, the other Peter Parkers and the other Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, it's just great to see them all come together and for it to really do a fantastic job at just kind of closing this trilogy and moving on to the next, moving forward to the next trilogy with Tom. Right. We were able to close off Tom Holland's trilogy, but then also set up a brand new storyline to be told with the same character. And it, that's yeah, and, and so good. May and it may be in this new trilogy we uh, we stay away from the home titles and we kind of dude I never like that motif I hate it honestly I'm like there dude I just I wish they were just like I wish it was literally called MCU Spider Man one MCU Spider Man two could you imagine if they did that for like the other films though like with Iron Man Captain America Hulk like if they had just had I mean they eventually did. Besides Iron Man one, two, and three, everyone else has a subtitle. No, like if this, no, if the subtitle is that one word, and then they just 
move it around. Oh, right. like it was Iron Man uh, War, and then I, yeah, I don't know. Right. I get what you're saying. Though. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Let's let's get into your number four. We're getting close to the top. I know the rest of this list is just going to be pure nostalgia, my friends, because my number four is Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife. We waited super long for this release. Also, like the pandemic really helped build anticipations for a lot of these movies. And I think Ghostbusters Afterlife was able to succeed in exactly what they were trying to do, which is create this love letter to the original two films while also bringing a new energy to the franchise that we all know and love. And when it comes to Ghostbusters Afterlife, the the characters are super sincere. I freaking love Paul Rudd. I think McKenna Grace is a star to be. She's another actress. I think I said in our episode about it that, like, just watch out. She's going to be nominated for an Oscar here in the near future. And the, and the way she plays, the, the her version of Egon is a perfect homage to the character that is Egon Spangler and the man that is Harold Ramis and another, and just to spoil the end real quick, the way they're able to honor Harold at the end of the film is, is I couldn't think of anything better to be honest. I am going to use this opportunity to give my one gripe about Ghostbusters afterlife. And it was a huge missed opportunity. Now there's a sequence when everyone goes and they suit up and they're driving down the street or whatever, and they're driving the Ecto one. And I'm like, why is the Ghostbusters theme not kicking in in this moment? I feel like if that moment happened, I would have teared up and cried it with emotions just from the like pure visceral uh, um, emotion of uh, the the like the music and the the environment and like the mission that they're about to go on. But it didn't happen. And that is my one gripe with that film. Everything else I loved. I loved what they were able to do. And also, yeah, Olivia, like the, the, the hidden cameos like J.K. Simmons, Olivia Wilde. Those are great. Uh, I already gushed about the performances and I, I really, really hope that this isn't where the Ghostbusters, the new Ghostbusters content stops. Yeah, I yeah. And what we've said previously before, the, the nostalgia with this film, I think, uh, is why heavy nostalgia. I enjoyed a lot because of the nostalgia and the previous installment of Ghostbusters just wasn't the same. So it was just a sweet treat to get this, um, especially around the Thanksgiving holiday I, I thought that was enjoyable not in my top you know area but i not a, a film that i'm not gonna like bash on like i actually enjoyed it my number four uh this is a film that i uh in terms of just anticipation didn't really have it as high as i thought it would be but once the trailer started coming out and i was kind of seeing more information on it and when the time came bought the ticket sat in my seat and the film came on my number four is the green knight i just I mean, this film is infectious. Like, I loved a lot about it. The cinematography, the keen Arthurian tale, uh, the, the medievalness, the metal. The, the, I mean, it's fucking... The metal. It's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it. It's the sequences in the film that makes it just very dreamy. The landscape is some of the best I've seen in, in a long time. And coming from David Lowry, who <laughs> made an impressive uh, uh, debut with me with his films like uh, a ghost story or peach dragon. I was just like, I got to see everything this director does. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And so this film just Dev Patel. I mean, it hasn't been talked about, but he's one of the best performers we've had this year. And certainly one of the best performers going forward. I, yeah, he is. He's been one of the best performers for the last couple of years and just like, hasn't gotten the opportunity 
I know, I know he may, he like talked about how after Avatar, he's like, yeah, I'm never doing another like franchise film ever again. And his choice of films in the last couple of years with like this and Lion and even like years before with Slumdog Millionaire have been like ex- more than exceptional. He, yeah, he's, he's an actor at a certain row from this because a lot of film, th- this has been well reviewed with critics. It's just not really getting a lot of attention in the award circuits. And I mean, it came out far too early, but yeah, it came out far too early for something like that. But this film, I mean, the landscape is fantastic. The cinematography, amazing score. I, I mean, you've heard me say this a hundred times. I love this score. It's dark. It has that that mix of beauty and and just haunting with it. And there's really not much for me to look back on because I'm gonna always just kind of when I go to rewatch it, I'm gonna. I've already seen it like twice. I think I've I've seen it twice already, and I that capture it on the 4k recently was just amazing i mean it's it's uh it's lightning in a bottle for me and and i could probably go further into it but my number four certainly uh the green knight if you haven't seen it check it out a24 is is like literally reproducing like a bunny because they used to have like a couple of films a year and now it's like hey we got like 42 films to put out this year and they're all going to be pretty damn good which is really impressive from like a studio that like it, how like really isn't that old yet. I feel like they've only been around for like 10 or so years. Yeah. Yep. It's crazy. Uh, okay. So now, now off to the top three and my number three is another hugely long awaited film for me. Uh, it is the most recent project from one of my favorite directors, top 10 directors of all time, Mr. Edgar Wright. And that's the last night of Soho. It's not a movie that on paper is something that I would really enjoy, but because of who Edgar Wright is and what he is able to do with his writing and his directing, I was incredibly excited to see this and it totally lived up to the expectations. There were multiple twists and turns that had me guessing at times. There were some solid reveals, some really solid surprises, and all the performances were like top notch. Thompson McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy are two of the most prolific actresses in Hollywood currently. I feel like anything they touch is really success. Well, maybe except for New Mutants, but that's besides the point. But specifically, especially Thompson McKenzie, she's been like in great project after great project. Uh, however you feel about old, I thought she was great in it. These these two women give incredible performances always. Uh, you have Matt Smith, who plays incredibly creepy. Terrence Stamp, who plays incredibly creepy. Uh, and the tone and style of this film is really what shines. Edgar Wright is such a visual director and such a, 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 an incredible creative mind when it comes to like the editing room and how shots are set up. There's a dance sequence that is like literally shot with one take. And you see Anya Taylor-Joy and Thompson McKenzie switching out uh, in the scene seamlessly without the camera stopping, spinning around the actors and actresses as they're dancing. So... The things he's able to do in this movie are fantastic. And honestly, if you want to listen to more, me talk about this film more, you can hear about that on our friend Blaine's podcast, The Real Views podcast. Uh, I think it's the third episode I was on. We talked about this movie and also Scott Pilgrim. And I spent like at least 45 minutes just gushing about it. So that is my number three of the year. Another film that I certainly did not hate and I will not bash. I think I enjoyed a lot of Edgar Wright's films. And the one thing I like about this film the most was just to bring us back into that 
um, that mystery that Hitchcock was fantastic at and that he was very most known for and to kind of get really close into um, just a, a dark mystery led by women. Like I, I thought that was great mm-hmm. for cinema and, and for this year, I, you know, did not hate it. Right. And I didn't even not mention the incredible. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I didn't even mention the incredible way it was able to tackle the theme of like, just like how women have been unsafe and have been like, basically, what's the word? I've been, uh, men have been like villainizing women or something. No, no, no. I'm, how, how am I supposed, how am I trying to word this? The, like men, the inherent evil in men that women have had to fear for generations in the 60s and now, and the way that they're able to compare that through the, through the the different time periods that are set up in this movie is truly excellent. I mean, the one moment, the moment that sold me in this movie, and then we'll move on was, and it was like a technical moment because there, after 20 minutes of setting up who Thompson McKenzie's character is, we finally have her magically transported through her dream into the sixties. And when that happens and she's walking through an alley, the actual sound in the theater I hadn't noticed for the first 20 minutes, but it was only coming out of the center channel. And when that moment hits and she finally arrives in the 1960s, uh, London, it's, it finally gets the surround sound and the sound cut like a music comes percussing in. And it was a truly visceral moment, which I really thought was like, wow, this is something I haven't experienced in film ever. Because, yeah, as that happened, even the, the aspect ratio is changing. The sound comes in. It really felt cinematic. Yeah. Great, great film. Great uh, film. I, I've seen, as of today, 113 films from 2021, and I have this at 25. So it's now. Oh, man. Ooh. Wow. You're look at you. I'm only at 100. Um, my number three is a film that. And if anyone knows me, like this is a clear, obvious, it's a no brainer. No time to die. Like James Bond for me, it's a it's pretty big staple just because of not the not the sexist MI6 agent, but right. Yeah. The uh the conclusion of Daniel Craig's James Bond just I thought was hats off. It's not the best James Bond, because obviously Skyfall will forever hold that, but this film, especially for knowing that Daniel Craig has had a lower stamp on some of the bonds i thought this one did very well uh i've heard obviously in terms of the villain not being the best he's had but in term but i thought that you know for what he was going against and the the threat that he was faced i didn't have an issue with it at all it's a touching film and certainly that last shot that last scene with daniel craig will probably go down as one of the best send-offs not just for james bond but like in terms of movie characters you know, it wasn't done violently in a way. Like there was some sincere to it. There's some thought into it. And I just loved everything about this film. Cinematography, action, all the characters, all the people that worked with it. I thought it was a job well done. And and if it was, you know, released any other time, obviously uh, pandemic uh, pending or whatever, but like right. more people would have seen this. It would have had more, you know, just um, receipts. Still made a ton of money. I mean, yeah, more so, I believe, overseas, though. Like, I don't think right. domestic. But, yeah, it, when you're comparing a lot of this to Skyfall, it's just never going to come close to that with the money or with the, the film. But I, for what we finally got, what the final product was, and for having to wait as long as we did, I could not be thankful enough for it. So that's my number three. 
Uh, the only reason I didn't have that in my honorable mention was because I assumed you were going to talk about it. It's literally like, it's yeah, it's number like 14 on my list. So it's right up there at the top. But the, for the exact same reasons that you've already just said, like the, the little weaker villain, uh, the runtime being two hours and 45 unnecessary minutes, uh, which I think is another reason why a lot of people were deterred by going to see it in theaters. Uh, I mean, you can't get someone into a movie for a two and a half hour movie unless it's like a Marvel thing, like or a, like incredibly like beloved established franchise, uh, maybe even uh, Mission Impossible potentially. But we'll see what happens there this year uh, with Mission Impossible 7. But yeah, uh, great, great installment. Great cap. I've, uh, now that we finally have no time to die, I can finally purchase all the uh Craig Bond films on 4K whenever they come out with a fancy collector's box. So I'm pumped about that. But yeah, just outside the top 10 for me. It's really a really exceptional uh, action movie, especially with the runtime it has. But yeah. All right. So then my number two, this is a film that anticipation levels, I think, for people were highs and lows. With the, the film that came out beforehand, a lot of people were concerned that this wouldn't work. But in the sure hands of James Gunn, a man that can literally take any comic book character as ancillary or D-list as it is and create an incredible emotional story with great action, comedy and plot. It's James Gunn. And that's why number two is the Suicide Squad for me. I freaking love this movie. It takes all these ridiculous, just nobody cares about DC characters and gives us a true like no holds barred rated R action movie with incredible, like I said, incredible comedy beats. The plot works really well. All the comic book character representations are truly iconic and feel totally accurate to their comic book counterparts. And like I said, it's James Gunn's incredible talent that allows him to take characters like these Suicide Squad members or the like Polka Dot Man or Rat Catcher 2 and then also take characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy and turn them into these time-honored franchises and these huge pillars of comic book film uh, in the comic book film world that are as successful as they are. He makes fantastic movies and the Suicide Squad is nothing different. Yeah, I certainly enjoy this film more than the other installment of Suicide Squad. But right. for me, I, I need to rewatch it in order to kind of, I guess, get I understood the the image that was, you know, displayed on screen. Like I get the whole the vibe and whatnot, but like I want to be able to kind of rewatch it and see if I can. I think it just popped back up on HBO Max so you can. I, I, I'll just to kind of revisit that is uh, and you should definitely do that before the peacemaker show pops up just oh. in a couple of days like we said we're gonna go ahead and review that as well well we shall see my number two is a film that you previously mentioned yes liquor's pizza is my number two film pta did it again knocked it out of the park uh for a rem- I mean, you can if coming of age story is certainly what it is. I know people are calling it the love, like a love story, but it's it's really not that. It, you know, the the two characters that we're following throughout the entire film, they don't really display much affection for one another through through touch. You know, it's it's through the actions and whatnot of just what their decisions are and like how to move forward with with things. And I thought the confidence that Cooper Hoffman had was, you know 
clearly signs that you knew his father was able to do. And now it's his, his mantle to kind of dis, uh, display that to further uh, keep that legacy namesake there. And then with Elena Haim, she, I mean, surprised the hell out of me. Like I've obviously listened to the band. I've seen their, their songs, listened to them. Uh, and I think that for an actress doing this for her first time, I was really kind of caught off guard. just like how able, she was able to capture just all ranges of emotion and, of frustration dealing with with certain actions and sequences that kind of come about with the faults that you can kind of say cooper has uh, that she's that he's led her with and also her interactions with other people um a film that we i mean we we talked about this uh, previous episode and so a lot more words are into that one but i mean it wouldn't really be a list if i didn't have pta this high up there i think he is a substantial filmmaker and hopefully this film finally gets him his first academy award and I think we'll be writing. Oh, wow. I think it would be writing uh, for this one simply because of just the, the nature of like all the characters kind of interacting off paper into being on the screen. I thought that was done probably the best. He didn't even get a nomination for like Globes or Critics, did he? One of uh, the two. He was left out of the Globes um, for, I believe, director. But everything else, right. everything else he got, yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah, which is why I think writing that is, is crazy to think that that man has never won the an Oscar. It's, I mean, yeah, that's a topic for another day. <laughs> sure. Number one, we've made it. All right, we'll see you guys next week. That's gonna. I know, right? And then that's cliffhanger right there. We're gonna end the show. No, I'll. Mine's gonna be pretty short and sweet because, like I said, episode three, you can just go back and take a listen to that. Uh, because my number one is Spider Man No Way Home. I spent a lot of time being a Spider Man denier. I was like, no way. I mean, dude, just just be prepared. Just what if they're not in it? What what if the other Spider Man don't show up and like everyone's disappointed? But guess what? No one was disappointed because everyone fucking loves this movie. It's so good. It's quintessential Spider-Man. It's the definition of amazing pun. Very much intended. Uh, and like it. So, yeah, just go back to episode three and listen to everything we have to say about that. But easily my number one of the year. It, it cracked the number at the top 10 of my MCU rankings, which is like that's a those are some high rated films in my like in the world of Brett Trail. Just. So I couldn't have been more happy with the product we got it like it literally went when it went and gave us everything that was never really promised, but like assumed by the fan base. And it also like finally gave us the like true Spider-Man arc that Tom Holland needed to shut up all of the people that were like dissing his Spider-Man for all these years. So I couldn't be happier with that. Even the scenes that have been spoiled online when they came into fruition on screen, it you was literally like, watched the whole movie God, on TikTok. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it was still amazing to kind of see that finally happen and for it to be captured and in a time where we kind of, I shouldn't say like need it, but you know, we got it and can't be unhappy for that. The result is perfect. Yeah, I mean, there were. I never thought we would have another of the like Avenger level crowd situations when the with the Marvel movies, especially with the last three that we got that people like liked but didn't completely fall in love with. But you go, you if you went to go see Spider Man with a crowded theater opening night, you had an amazing experience. You had a truly memorable experience. 
There are not many films these days that'll get a theater fully packed like that and where the crowd is just as excited as every other person that's sitting in that theater to see what the thing that they love from their childhood or the thing that they have fallen in love with in recent years on the screen is it's truly something beautiful. It's the one thing that cannot be replaced by the streaming platforms is that feeling you get with every other uh, Spider-Man fan in the, in the theater sitting around you ready to just be fully encompassed by the enjoyment that is this movie. Very well said. Uh, going into my number one film, this certainly has been something that I've gone back and forth with, with licorice pizza. Uh, my Wait, number- bef- bef- before you say that, I, we we literally only had the one similar f- movie. It was just Licorice Pizza. I, I, I thought you were going to have Belfast in there. No, dude, at, like the more I think about it, especially out of the, the one like the Oscar Beatty films, like, yeah, it is probably still the top. But well, I mean, I even like Tragedy of Macbeth a little bit better just but that might we'll see if that even gets love. But yeah, no, Belfast is really, really good, but it did slip and slide down to the bottom of the list. Obviously, you, the, the fans already can understand our tones of our our lists are vastly different. What gave that away? I know, right? So my number we'll one, see. But yeah, just the one is pretty crazy. My number one film is uh, Come On, Come On, uh, directed by Mike Mills, stars Joaquin Phoenix and another role that he is gentle Previously, you know, a couple years ago, he was playing the Gotham, the clown prince of Gotham and just a madman. And this one, he, he really shows his gentle side that we've seen from him before with like in her uh, another outstanding performance by him and that. But in this film, he connects with his nephew, who is played by Woody Norman, who I recently learned is British. And he pulls off one hell of an accent. Yeah, that's flabbergasting. And, and of uh Overall, just a film that I enjoyed and I connected with on a level that I was not expecting to uh, being an uncle for with a, with a three year old and for him to try and connect with with his nephew as he's trying to um, as his sister, the boy's mom is dealing with a family issue. He <clears throat> brings him around his job and he's a documentary filmmaker and he's had, you know, showing him how his I, recording I thought the- it was a podcaster. He, that's I mean that's primarily like the the job at hand, but like it's a documentary that he's working on. Okay, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So and he's trying to kind of you know he's in letting the, his nephew know like how he goes about his stuff and how he does things, and the kid is interested in it, but he's not really giving him the answer that he's looking for. But he there's comes a scene where that happens towards the end, and it kind of really connects after they've had their their. You know when they when they get everything off their chest moment, and I, I thought everything with this with the film shot in black and white. The score is beautiful once again. I'm gonna say it till I die. I I enjoyed the film. I connected to it on a, a big level. Uh, I've never had to uh, never had that feeling of losing my my niece uh, like he has a couple scares where the nephew walks away. Like that is just sheer terror that I hope I never had to endure. But this moment throughout the entire film. It's it's filled with with uplifting beats and the chemistry that them two play off with one another. I mean, I don't think it can be beat. And when you're making a list of like top ten films, that you have to kind of have something that um, leaves you wanting not wanting more afterwards, but just wanting to talk about it more afterwards. And this film certainly 
when I finished watching it, there was no doubt in my mind. Like, I don't think I want to see anything that kind of hits me like this one did for the rest of the year. And it's, it's been like that. And I look forward to rewatching it just like all the other films in, in my top 10, but this one, I can't imagine escaping my number one. Come on, come on, man. Yeah. I did not, I do not have quite the same emotional connection to the story that was told in come on, come on. And also I, I was trying to figure out why they were justifying having this be shot in black and white. And I really couldn't come to it a lot. There were like a lot of movies that were just shot in black and white, but like the other ones that we watched kind of felt like those had the reasons to be in black and white, like tragedy of Macbeth or Belfast. It's called it's for sentimental purposes, right? It's it's it, it, it I guess it does. I like represent the bleakness kind of of like this, like the whole situation and like their 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 emotional just I don't know. Well, I, it, I, I, I like you. You're not so happy with my rating. I liked it, but I, I just really did not have the same connection as you did. Well, I, I believe once you become an uncle, you might have a different. Yeah, that's going to be a while. A viewing of the film. Hey, I, I don't care if it's 20. I have younger siblings, bro. You send me a text and you're like, bro, you know what? On You know what? On second. My brother five, finally had a kid. It's time for me to rewatch. Come on, come on. It's it's a it's a sweet film. I mean, I, I kind of can't really speak any more of it besides just you know you get the chance to watch it, and it's not. I mean, it's very hard to find in theaters. Certainly, it was down. Oh here. yeah, it's like it's pretty much gone already. So it's going to be one of those things that you'll have to kind of watch at your home. But yeah, I, catch on streaming. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I I loved it. Joaquin Phoenix is still one of the more fantastic actors we have out there, and he's always finding himself involved in films that just really kind of becomes a character study at the end of the day and even his next film i look i look very much forward to it so that's that's my that's my number one that's my top 10 that's 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 our top 10s that's pretty much the podcast for this week folks uh that'll wrap it up for us um Obviously, take as any and all of our movies in our top 10 lists as recommendations or any honorable mentions. But Brent, before we sign off, do you have a recommendation for the people? I recently rewatched Prometheus. I kind of wanted to dive back. The the movie's terrible. Nah, nah. So bad. That movie is a poser. It's pretending like it's an alien film. It's a prequel. It's trying to. It's it is a way to prequel of- as as much as 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 soon as the last fifteen minutes kicks in, then it's a prequel. There, are, I mean, give me the time and day, and I can make a list of films that have done that far worse. So, I well, I probably don't like those either. <laughs> Prometheus kind of enjoyed it just because of just how great the everything comes together. If you're a fan of Alien, you'll you'll enjoy it. I know that for certain. You probably would have enjoyed it if it was called Alien 2094, uh, the year it takes place in. I, I don't mind that there's a surprise, but it's not entertaining until it tries to be an alien movie. It's, it was always an alien movie. Like, I don't know what you make you think. Oh, my God. I don't know what made you think it wasn't. Here we are. Here we are. This is, wow. this is the theme now. Great. Well... I guess then for recommend covenant. (laughs) No, uh, I'm going to do a TV show because your boy binge watch Cobra Kai season four. And if you haven't watched Cobra Kai seasons one through four, is it a crazy weird show that lives in its own reality of this world where you can just like have karate fights 
without having assault charges from the police. But it's still a really fun uh, like teen drama show with kids that can kick ass. It's a great vehicle for honoring the franchise that is the Karate Kid, specifically those first three movies. And all of the like actors that are give great performances and have incredibly bright futures. And I, it's uh, definitely a guilty pleasure of mine. So if you haven't checked that out and you've ever liked watching the Karate Kid, the Cobra Kai series on Netflix, very much worth watching. I have not watched a single season of that. That's a damn shame. And you've seen you've seen all the movies, right? Yes, yes, I have. Okay. Well, welcome to 2022, where the madness will continue. Right, absolutely. That and that's going to be it for us this week, folks. Uh, go ahead and uh, if you could please check us out on Instagram, Sin Arrivals on Instagram and uh, Spotify, the Sin Arrivals on Spotify. We also both have our letterboxed accounts. We put nearly every film we watch, we put a rating and maybe even a review up on there. So if you'd like to set up an account or follow us on there, yeah, yeah, we're. Where I'll write ratings, reviews, and Brett will write novels. Yeah. Well, hey, I put a lot of uh, thought and time into my reviews. Get out of here. And that's mostly why I wanted to plug this so that people go read those reviews. But anyways, we will see you guys next week. Keep, uh, Keep listening. Keep on subscribing. And have a great rest of your week.